This is the Boss Ass Bitch Podcast. I'm your host, Marta Katanichu, just another woman on her journey to bossing up, so I'm taking you along for the ride. I'll be having juicy conversations with women and men who inspire me to boss up and put my money where my mouth is. I trust that they'll do the same for you. So without further ado, get comfortable, make yourself at home, but hold on tight. It's gonna be wild. On this episode, I sit down with Natalie Levy, an empowerment and business coach, a Zumba and meditation teacher, and an all-around boss-ass bitch. We talk about finding ourselves through depression and grief, self-love and adventure, boundaries and intuition, signs from the universe, and life lessons. Nothing but positive vibes only on this episode. Actually, that's an inside joke, so make sure you listen to the end to get the reference. All right. I am so excited to welcome our mystery (laughs) guest for today's episode, Natalie Levy. She is an empowerment and business coach, a yoga and meditation teacher, and a Zumba instructor. (laughs) I mean, is there anything she can't do? I don't think so. You're so sweet. Uh, I'm so excited because I've actually been following you on Instagram for a while, and I remember we had uh, coffee a few weeks ago, or maybe mm-hmm. last week. I don't even know. Time is flying these days. It really is. But when I first met you, I was like, oh my god, I am kind of starstruck right now because I've been <laughs> obsessing over you, and you've been such an inspiration in my life ever since I started following you, and I just love the work that you do Thank and the you. content that you put out there and your mission in life. So basically, you help people become the best version of themselves, shine with confidence from the inside out, and live a life they've always dreamed of. (laughs) That is the goal. So before we get into how you really help your clients, um, I kind of want to start with uh, 11 years ago. Okay. (laughs) You make a point of that in a lot of uh, your content. So... I just want to ask you how you got here and kind of your journey. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of a of a long story, but in summary, and thank you so, so much for being here. I know you said <laughs> that I inspired you, but I was following you just as long, and I think you're also very inspirational, and what you're doing with this podcast is amazing. So I want to say that before I go into the whole, <laughs> the whole saga. Um, thank you. But to answer your question, I... I think this really, I can't really start without going back to when I was a child. And um, essentially, my mother was diagnosed with cancer when I was five years old with breast cancer. And she fought long and hard for six years, although the doctors didn't think she was going to live beyond one year. Um, And she passed away when I was about 11 years old. From there, I just, I ended up falling into depression, probably probably almost right away, but didn't really recognize it as such until I was a teenager. And I was in this, this, this period of self-loathing and a lot of insecurity and a lot of sadness, I guess, around my adolescent years. In the midst of all of that, I really discovered that the one thing that made me feel good was actually being there for other people. And I decided at 15 that I was gonna be a psychologist. (laughs) So that was the goal. Um, but I don't really think I fully came out of that period. I mean, I, I progressively got better, but I didn't really come out of that period until my early 20s, I'd say. And 11 years ago, you know, I was, I was in a position where I was drinking irresponsibly, 
drinking too much. I wasn't really um, in the romantic relationships that I should have been in. And I just didn't like myself. I wasn't being nice to my body. So there were a lot of things that were going on. And I think a lot of women can relate to that. You know, no matter what spawns it, a lot of us have that experience. Um, and we, you know, no matter what's happening, we sort of internalize it and then turn it into, I'm not good enough. My body's not good enough. No one's going to love me. We have all these like stories that we tell ourselves. Anyway, I realized that if I wanted to truly help other people heal and, and help other people, at this point, still thinking I was going to be a clinical psychologist, I had to get healthy myself. And so, you know, I started doing that. Wow. Um, that is crazy that you had to deal with, you know, such an important person in your life, you know, dealing with such a crazy disease and eventually losing that person in your life and then going on a whole nother journey of grieving that and then finding yourself through all of it. I think that is um, incredible that you came out of it so strong. And was there a moment throughout that period that you were like, okay, this is really my rock bottom? Or was there multiple moments that kind of you had to just continue to change your, your direction? So interesting. Um, I can't remember a time where I'd say it was like, I can't remember one moment where, like, everything flipped necessarily. Um, I lived in a state, for a long time, I didn't really know. I Well, for, for a long time, I wasn't grieving. You know, my father um, did the best he could with us, and his mentality was, okay, it happened, life goes on. And so I had to really push through. I went to school the day that my mom passed away. I mean, I was a mess, but I got through the day, and I made it. I made it work. And we never really stopped, and so... For a long time, I was going, 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 and I was just in this state of like extreme sadness, but also really numb. I was still getting good grades. I was still in all the extracurricular activities. People from the outside didn't really know necessarily all the things that I was going through. Um, and I mean, there were multiple moments, especially in college, especially with the drinking, um, where I had situations that I kind of woke up the next day and was like, how is this happening? You know, how am I creating this reality for myself? How am I doing this to myself? Um, and, and yeah, so it wasn't, it was like a period of time and I started to come out of it when I started to make the effort to start to, to turn inward and, and start to love myself. And that's kind of what got you going on this spiritual journey where you yeah. ended up in India. Yeah. <laughs> Please tell me about that because that sounds like <laughs> such a crazy adventure. It was the, I'm not going to say the time of my life because I've had many times of my life. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing air quotes right now. Um, you know, but it was one of, it was the best thing I could have done for myself. So at that point I had, I was in my early twenties and I had started on this, this path of, of healing. Um, and I was in a much better place with my body, with my relationship. I was dating a wonderful, wonderful man. Um, and I decided I decided in high school that I wanted to go to India. And I thought I was going to do the Peace Corps. When I realized that it was like two and a half years or, or quite a while, um, I decided against it because also I didn't know that I was going to end up in India. And India was where I had set my sights. And so I found a volunteer program through Cross Cultural Solutions. Um, that I had to essentially either pay out of pocket or raise money for. And I can't remember the exact numbers now, the figures, but it was like $4,000 or something on top of, you know, flights and just living there. And it was just a lot of money. So they actually encourage us to fundraise 
Because then you get the word out also and you and you get the message that like this is something possible and viable to do. And um, so you spread the message. So I started to, to fundraise. And I'll say that that's when my spiritual journey really started. I started to read books that were more about how I can create my own reality um, and how I can start to turn like just that spiritual journey of like Buddhism and like what else is out there, things that I hadn't necessarily explored very deeply before. And in just this like leap of faith of signing up without even knowing how I was going to like materialize the money and not really knowing how I was going to do it. I had a few months, like I, I had set it up. So I had a few months to do it. It was my first experience of really wielding my reality in the way that I wanted to wield it. So people came out of the woodworks to help friends, family, people who I never, ever expected were reaching out to me being like, Hey, if there's anything I can do, like I'm super inspired by this, let me help you. Um, and I would say that that was a very spiritual experience of just like community mm. and like connection and also realizing that when I ask for something, I can get it. <laughs> yeah. And having the faith that, you know, you want something and it's going to work out. Yeah. And that was you may big not for me. necessarily know how it's going to work out, but you know, you take it step by step and then you're like, oh, this person came out of the woodwork, like you said. And yeah, it was a really cool experience. Yeah. And then India itself was just, um, I can't, I, I would take the whole podcast up if I were to tell you what <laughs> India was like, but it was an incredible, beautiful yeah. experience. I've seen some of the picture, it, pictures <laughs> that you've posted. It does look amazing. Thanks. So how long were you there for? Two and a half months. Oh, wow. I could have been there for like six months longer. I I, I loved it. I ran out of money. Wow. <laughs> Side note, were you okay with the water there? Because I've had some friends that have gone to I ended India. up in the hospital. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was like sending pictures to my friends, like IVs in my arms. My boyfriend at the time was like, I'm coming there. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I think I'm not dying. Um, yeah, it was the craziest thing. I went to this restaurant across the street from where I was staying. Um, and my friends, well, they weren't my friends. These people that I was volunteering with were like, oh yeah, we go here every day. Like it's no big deal. I asked for no ice. I drank no water. I came home from that, that experience almost immediately felt sick. I've never, I thought I was going to die. Like I never felt so bad in my life. Um, but you know, a few days hooked up to an IV and I was fine. Wow. A few days. <laughs> <laughs> but you're still in high spirits, I suppose. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I was, I was bombed of course, <laughs> but I also knew that it was likely to happen. I didn't go in there and I had really great traveler's insurance. So if you're going to plan a trip like this, anyone who's listening, um, to like a foreign place. It doesn't really matter where, like get good travel insurance. Cause I had, I had the best possible experience given the circumstances. Mm. <laughs> so did you like plan out a whole tour of India or did you just go and say no. whatever happens, happens? I was just talking about this with somebody else this app this morning about how I tend to act very intuitively. So I sort of just like go where my gut tells me to go. Um, you know, so from the outside, sometimes people are like, wow, Natalie's batshit crazy. I feel like I can say that. <laughs> Natalie's absolutely nuts. Um, but that's just, that's always just sort of been how I navigate the world. So to answer your question, I had some idea of what I was going to do. But when it came to like our three day trips, because I was, I was volunteering four days a week, but then traveling like three days a week. And then the last month or so I was on my own just traveling around, um, I had, I had ideas of what I wanted to see, but every, like there were times where my friends and I just were like, let's just see what's available at the bus station. Wow. And we, you know, I ended up at Pushkar in India, which is, you know, it was, there was a camel festival happening and <laughs> casual. Had, yeah, just like uh, <laughs> thousands of camels. <laughs> 
Um, just another day in <laughs> India. <laughs> and we were like, all right, that sounds cool. So we just like hopped on a bus and I'm pretty sure my bus driver was drunk because he oh, offered my, uh, my friends some like some alcohol while he was behind the wheel. So that was terrifying. And um, <laughs> we just like, we were like praying for our lives. We were in a sleeper, in a sleeper bus. So we were like all three of us huddled and it was like, this space that was meant for like one person, <laughs> just like praying to like all of the Hindu like Hindu gods that we were gonna survive. We did, <laughs> um, but yeah, like that that was a lot of my experience. Just and it always worked out really, like in the best way it possibly could. Mm, that's awesome. I definitely want to get into intuition later on because mm-hmm, I think you got a lot to say about that. Um, so what happened other than having a crazy adventure in India? What happened as a result of that trip? Did you learn a bunch of lessons and then did you make a life-changing decision when you came back? Oh my God, yes and yes. Um, <laughs> so I, I learned a lot from one person in particular. Um, it, he ended up being the, my closest friend on the trip, Brian. Uh, we don't really stay in touch anymore, like, you know, but at the time it was sort of monumental for me. He was just you know, he had gone through his own his own trials and tribulations. Um, you know, he understood what it's like to go through something really difficult. But he was one of the most funny and fun people I've ever met. Um, I, I I don't know. I, we ended up going around India like screaming Kesha lyrics on the top of our lungs. And <laughs> I don't know. There was this whole energy around him where we, I was just able to sort of recognize like how fun and how funny I could be. Mm. Um, and I remember my friend being like, Natalie, like, what has gotten into you? You're so funny. Not that I'm tooting my own horn or anything, but I was like, thanks. I know. Um, <laughs> I know. No, but it was, um, it was just like this, this getting really comfortable in my own skin mm. and being in this foreign country and um, sort of like adopting all these like foreign cultures and really trying to assimilate as much as I possibly could. Like I even learned some Hindi, you know, like I would like, I would haggle with people in Hindi, which was kind of <laughs> cool. But like... Doing that and and realizing my my power and like my ability to sort my agility and like my ability to like fall on my feet I guess was really powerful and then being with this person who just like brought out the fun in me was really powerful and it was like the first time I ever rocked a bikini and just like we were at this festival in the south of uh, India in a place called Goa we went to Sunburn Festival which is like the biggest festival music festival in that part of uh, the world and. Um, yeah, like I ended up like doing a commercial, like introing something for like MTV India, you know, and like rocking a bikini. And it was just, I had never felt so comfortable in my own skin before. So it was really cool. Hmm. And did that inspire you to become a, a life coach or was that another decision that kind of started in India and then took a while for you to act on? Yeah, so actually, to answer your question about any life-changing decisions, while in India, I realized I didn't want to come back to New York. Um, that wonderful guy that I was dating, he was wonderful, he is wonderful, um, but I just knew that that wasn't, that wasn't what I wanted long-term, and I also knew that I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do exactly next, and I just didn't feel like New York was a place for me anymore, which is crazy because I'm like a diehard New York girl. <laughs> like, I'm going to stay in New York probably forever. Um, but at the time, I wanted to move somewhere else, and there were a few places I was thinking of, Asheville being one of them. And why Asheville? Just because I heard a girl that I used to go to festivals with um, talk about how amazing Asheville was, and I was like, that sounds like a cool place. So I just went online and looked up opportunities in Asheville, and within 10 minutes found this psych-based um, this psych-based 
internship, paid internship with like housing. And I was like, what? Like, this doesn't even exist. This is insane. I applied. I harassed the my hiring manager my supervisor into hiring me like legitimately she was like natalie you're on the wait list and i would call every week being like am i off the wait list yet <laughs> anyway she finally she was like i'll let you know but can you start on this date in january and i was like yes so i booked my flight home not knowing if i had the job at all but just in case i had to pack a bag and move to north carolina and I, she woke me up at like three in the morning, the day that I was flying out to be like, hey, I don't know what time it is over there, but you, someone dropped out, you've been accepted. And I was like, great, I'll see you there. I ended up flying in like a blizzard. It was absolutely oh madness, <laughs> but I got home within three days. I packed a bag, I moved to North Carolina and I was there for two and a half years. Wow. And all that to say, um, I did not necessarily think life coaching was exactly what I was gonna do. I was still on this, um, this, I still had this goal in mind of becoming a clinical psychologist. Um, but I decided after two and a half years in North Carolina to get my master's. And, and yeah. Hmm. So I got my master's in applied psychology. And then when did you come back to New York? I came back in 2015, 2013, excuse me, um, to, to go to NYU to get my master's at, yeah, in applied psychology. And it was within like two weeks of being in my master's program, I think I always knew, again, intuitively, that a clinical psychology program wasn't necessarily where I truly saw myself. I thought that I had to be a doctor. It was just sort of one of these things that um, I thought would give me credibility. And I was I started at that point really loving the idea of like positive psychology, which is really what coaching is based off of. So I already had it in my mind. I was like, oh, I'm just gonna be a doctor, but I'm really gonna be a life coach. and. Um, but I should get my doctorate anyway. And within two weeks of my master's program, it was just like this thing that hit me like a ton of bricks where I was like, I am not getting my doctorate. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so that was one of those. And my dad still is like, so when are you going to get your PhD? And I'm like, dad, <laughs> if you want a PhD so badly, you should go get one yourself. Love you, Ooh. dad. But <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm, not, I'm never saying never. Uh, that's just not what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. That is so cool. It sounds like you experienced a little bit of imposter syndrome. At what point? Uh, <laughs> Who doesn't? No. But. So right now you kind of, um, I kind of want to talk about how you help your clients. Um, some of the things that you do to help your clients is you help them to stop their negative self-talk. You help them increase abundance through money, friendship, and fun. Uh, you also help them uh, learn how to ma manifest with ease, launch <laughs> profitable online service-based businesses, which is really interesting. I want to get into that. Shed guilt from past traumas, adventure, reignite or strengthen their relationships, uh, and their relationship to spirit or God. Um, yeah. So that's just a very quick over overview of what you do with your clients. And I'm curious, what type of people usually come to you and ask for help and what are they dealing with? Yeah, so the demographic is between 25 and 45 usually. It's predominantly women. For a long time, I was only working with women, but then I had a couple of male clients that just sort of opened me up to the possibility. I still think that I'm, I'm really gearing my, uh, my message and my marketing towards women, but I am you know open. But again, predominantly it's women between the ages of 25 and 45. It's interesting because they all come to me for similar and also different reasons um and the over the overarching issue is really um looking to strengthen their self-esteem 
it's often they want to do something, whether it be start an online business, you know, mm-hmm. whether it be uh, improve their relationship with their spouse, whether it be become more productive and just feel more comfortable in their abilities, whether it be academic or um, you know, social. It's a variety of reasons. What I find, however, is again, it all stems from lack of self-esteem, um, a lack of self-worth. Often, I think, I think we all have experienced some sort of past trauma, which then creates narratives and stories that we tell ourselves and we carry with us with us for so long. Um, and so these things are all that it's the same across the board. And the way that I work with them is. It's usually in a three-month program uh, where we discover, we uncover these limiting beliefs. We inc- we uncover the narratives that they've been holding on to, telling themselves for ages upon ages, um, and we we name them. We get really clear on them. Uh, I find that with therapy, you do that, but it sort of stops there. You like you really unpack all the reasons why you are the way that you are, and. The way that I, I, I am a big uh, advocate for therapy. Uh, I've had therapy myself. I, you know, I think it's important. Also, I think it's important to take all of what you learn about yourself and, and figure out what you want to do with it. Right. Take um, action. Exactly. To take action. And that's what, just to backtrack, is what positive psychology encourages. It's like, okay, start where you are right now and make things happen. Like, take action. Um, so... The second month of our work together is around rewriting those narratives. So coming up with, um, a, just coming up with examples as to why they aren't the things or the, the person that they think they are. Um, and the third month is like really putting it into action. I mean, we obviously do a little bit of that no matter where we are in the process, but you, you I see the biggest transformation in that third month when they've scaffolded on like you know they've learned all of these tools, all these coping mechanisms, all of these ways of reframing. Uh, they start rewriting their own story. And then the third month is when things just click. And it's just it's a really cool transformation. With my clients that I work on uh, launching online service-based businesses, we do that kind of mindset work because I think, if you're if you're stuck and you're you're fearful of launching again, it stems from those feelings of like unworthiness or lack of true confidence or self esteem. Um, and so we do the mindset work, but then it's obviously a lot more action oriented, where we start to um, figure out their message, their branding, getting visible online, putting themselves out there through marketing, and uh, ideally, you know, starting to get clients. <laughs> Wow, that is a 360-degree experience with Natalie. (laughs) (laughs) I think I might book you uh, after this episode (laughs) because it sounds like something I need. That sounds so awesome. Uh, I'm curious, what do you do once you actually find someone's limiting beliefs? Do you then put together a system of reprogramming that those beliefs do you come up with some affirmations that they start to use or is it more like you become aware of it and then you you figure out like what to do from there so there are things that i do across the board affirmations being one of them um i have benefited my like from affirmations myself i do believe in them and i always tell my clients i'm like i know it sounds so hokey, but just trust me. And if you hate them, you never have to do them again. But like humor me, you know? Um, And 
the reason I believe in them so wholeheartedly is, you know, for example, body image was a huge thing for me. And I had to to sort of like reprogram my brain into believing that I actually liked myself. So I started to tell myself like really nice things. Um, and I just noticed how that started to change the way that I acted towards myself. It also changes the way that I act towards people. You know, when you're less judgmental and less hard on yourself, you end up being a lot more compassionate towards other people and vice versa when you're much more compassionate to other people you end up having a lot more compassion for yourself but it all starts with the words that you tell yourself and so yes my my clients always have to do effort and obviously they don't have to do anything I tell them <laughs> but I highly highly encourage and motivate my my clients to use affirmations I use them myself uh, another thing is like literally rewriting your story so I'll have um, there are all kinds of exercises that I use, but one of them is, you know, writing out each limiting belief that you have and then writing out either uh, why it's not true, you know, finding actual tangible examples from your past and your life that counter that limiting belief. And we all have them, you know, like my clients will be like, well, I'm always like this. And I'm like, oh, really, you're always like that. Can you name three times that you haven't been like that? And the answer is always yes. And it's because... Mm. We carry these narratives and we start, so it's, it's psychology, research shows, that we, uh, when we believe something, it's confirmation bias. We start to look for reasons that it's true. And so if you think, you know, you're always clumsy or you're always late, you're constantly going to reinforce that belief by looking for reasons why it's true. And you're going to overlook and, you know, and not care about the time that you showed up really promptly for that meeting or really, you know, really early for mm. that party, whatever it is, you know, you're going to stick to I'm always late. But when you start to, when you start to bring up examples from your past as to why you actually aren't the things you've been telling yourself, it's really empowering. You're like, oh, you start to see yourself in a different light. Um, I also have my clients do things like writing out their their story and then and then writing out what the I mean the ending not really the ending but you know how they see their life going from here um I think when you start to put things to paper and when you start to uh imagine what's possible for yourself it makes it much more it makes it much easier to start going after what you really want and start being the person you really want to be Mm-hmm. Wow. You just said so many powerful things. My brain is like I hope I'm making sense. I really no, you totally I are. Okay. I mean, everything about the self-fulfilling prophecy that we tend to fall into, it's usually a negative kind of system that we fall into. It's like Tony Robbins says, for example, if someone tells you, watch out for red cars all day today, you're going to be noticing red cars exactly. all day. And that comes down to what you think about yourself. And then it just becomes... Um, a way of self-sabotage. Yeah, it becomes a truth when it's not actually. So, so many times my clients tell me something, I'm like, that's not true. And, you know, can you give me examples of why it's not true? And sometimes it can be really hard because it's so deep rooted. Um, but, you know, I'll just, I'll just be silent. And I've had a, one of my clients recently is like, um, are, are you, are you waiting for me to say something? I'm like, I'm just, yeah, just let me know when, you, when something comes up. Um, because I think, you know, it's, it's, it is, it gets really hard to, to really examine yourself, but. Yeah, that's why I feel like having a life coach is such a life-changing experience, because you have a reflection, and someone who's going to really tune into you, and be able to tell you that what you're telling yourself most of the time, it really is not true. Yeah, I know you have a life coach, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's been, like, a very transformative experience for me. I've learned so much throughout the process, because it was like, 
someone outside of my own mom telling me that I'm amazing. Yes. You know, <laughs> sometimes I just tell my mom, you know, it's because I'm your daughter. Snapping. And I don't believe you sometimes. You yeah. know, you could tell me all day that I'm perfect and amazing, but I don't believe you. So having a life coach and actually getting the time to like go back into my past and mm-hmm. like really figure out some of my triggers and my traumas and kind of looking at my perspective in life and seeing why I have that perspective and kind of engaging in changing it. Yeah, it's there's so much power in, in knowing because then you have control over what happens next. Yes. But so often we, we just go through life not really paying attention to our triggers, not paying attention to our trauma. You know, I did that, I mentioned, for many years where I was just going, 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 going. Um, and I'm coming into my own even still. You know, yes, I'm a coach. It doesn't mean I, I have everything figured out. Like, far from it. I'm just on a constant journey to to learn, you know, and, and to understand myself and to get better. I mean, and I think... That's I'm very lucky for the people that I have in my life because they often act as mirrors for me and you know they call me out on my my BS and <laughs> they challenge me and I've had life coaches myself and I like I mentioned I've been to therapy so it's just um, you know I don't I don't look at life coaches and think that they have everything figured out <laughs> you know it, it's not true but we're all in this together is the way that I see it we're all yeah. just figuring it out doing the best we can it's true. And one thing I love about starting to understand yourself, in my experience, it's been so empowering because mm-hmm. it starts to feel like you're happening to life and life is not happening to you. You sure. start to feel like you're co-creating your life with, you know, an unknown force, whatever you want to call it, God or spirit, but you don't, you're not stuck in this, um, this kind of victim mentality. It's so, it's, yeah, and once you realize that, it's incredibly powerful. One of my, one of my first clients uh, a couple of years ago, she had experienced some pretty serious trauma in her childhood, and in our first conversation, she was like, I want to take my life back. I want to take it back, and I asked her, I was like, who has your life? And essentially, she was like, well, you know, my abusers, (gasps) and I was, and in long story short, helping her recognize that they didn't have anything. She was giving them so much power over her. Like, if you have to take your life back, that means it's not yours. And helping her recognize that it was, in fact, her life, and they had majorly disrupted it, you know, and, and it, it what happened to her was not right and not fair and not okay. And at the same time, she had control over what happened to her today and now. And just, like, reclaiming that power... It was really interesting because it was as if no one had really ever told her, you know, you have your life, like you are living your life, you are in control of your life. And the way that you, just changing those words, again, it's a lot about changing the words that we say to ourselves, just saying, taking the power away from them by saying, I'm taking my life back, you already have your life. Mm. And that was, that was a huge shift for her. So, yeah. (sighs) I don't know. I can go in many different directions right now because (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Um, But something that came up for me in what you were just saying is forgiveness. I feel like that's a huge thing that we all uh, struggle with. with. So can you define forgiveness and kind of give give us some tips as to how we can implement it in our lives, even when we're faced with something that is seemingly unforgivable? Hmm, that's so 
<laughs> Tricky. Um, with forgiveness, I think recognizing that it's not for the other person, but it's for you is the most important thing. I mean, when you're forgiving something essentially unforgivable, it's really not about making the other person right or saying that what happened was was okay. It really isn't any of those things. It's really about letting go of the pain that it's causing you and the power that it holds over you. Um, and I don't like, it's so hard because when something, ha there are things that um, are so out of your control and it's, it is really hard to, to even fathom forgiving it, um, whatever has happened to you. But again, it's about being compassionate with yourself and, you know, and, and loving on yourself and forgiving that what happened to you. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, so, there's so many layers. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm a little stumped. I, I think it's, it's, I'm thinking about my yoga teacher training that I did recently in Bali. And that was actually a, an assignment we had to do. And something came up for me that I didn't really even realize was bothering me anymore. Um, and I even started to cry when I was telling someone about it. Like, obviously I was still holding a lot of emotions. Um, and I realized that those emotions that you hold onto that are like inside, they take up emotional space. They take up emotional energy. Um, and so when you just forgive the person or the situation, the circumstance, you end up freeing yourself. Mm. As far as what to do, I think many things work for, for different people. Um, I think perhaps writing a letter is something again like putting something to paper writing a letter and just like let like at the end of it like really making an effort to let it go i mean some people do things like light it on fire or like send it out to sea or like something just symbolic of like this release because then you have the emotional release you have like the um what's the word the symbolic release mm -hmm. you know the metaphor um i think meditating is a, is a big thing that has worked for me just really meditating um on it even just it doesn't you don't even have to have the conversation i'm assuming that this is a person that you're forgiving you don't even have to have the conversation with that person you can just meditate on it imagine it in your mind you know imagine it as if they're there you can you guys can look it up there are a bunch of meditations out there but um have that conversation with them like in your mind and then resolve it mm -hmm. if you can yeah, I have to say, writing letters is such a powerful practice. I've written letters to myself. Yeah. I've written letters to other people in my life. But you know what? I haven't gotten like to the point where I can burn them. Like For some <laughs> reason, I write them, and I'm like, I still want to hold on to this. Yeah. So maybe that's symbolism for I'm still holding on to all the pain and the hurt, but you know, I'm working on it. <laughs> You're working on it, and that's all you can do. Yeah, at least I actually put myself in the position of actually expressing it and putting it down on paper so that I know what I'm actually dealing with. So exactly. So it's a step in the right direction, but again, like it really is just hard to let go of something sometimes, mm -hmm. and I think that's just constant practice that it's a daily practice. Again, I think it's also just to reiterate, it's um it's not saying that what's happening is okay or 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 right. Um it's just giving yourself that space. Just getting that space back. Mhm. Mm and I think it's also a practice in creating boundaries and upholding them. Mm. So I'm curious, uh, what do you think about boundaries? How do you define them? 
Um, as far as boundaries go, I think it's what brings you, what makes you feel comfortable, you know, in, in the way that you are existing amongst other people in the world. Um, you know, I think it's in a, it, it's a place where you find balance, you know, where you're not overextending yourself or, um, maybe underextending yourself, <laughs> right? It's a, it's a, you are existing in a place where, um, things just feel aligned with like your, not to be too woo-woo, but like your highest self, whatever that means to you. It's so different for everybody. Mm. Do you work with your clients on figuring out their boundaries? Are there like different categories of boundaries that you look into? Yeah, it's interesting. So something, I mean, that just brings up uh, an experience with one of my, another one of my clients who had what seemed like the perfect life from the outside and she was so um, concerned about remaining perfect to her like peers and to her family, and she didn't want to ever let anyone in on the secret of like what was really truly going on. Even me, we worked together for two months before she opened up to me about the real reason she wanted to um, to talk. But a lot of the work that we did was actually around boundaries, um, and it was it came down to her not really speaking up and not speaking her truth and not feeling as if. Um, she, her feelings were valid and not feeling as if she'd be listened to or heard, but, and so never trying to be listened to or heard. And so she was in a situation where her, her partner didn't really know what was going on with her, but she was, you know, it causes all kinds of miscommunication and resentment. And a lot of things come up that, um, that could be resolved if, boundaries were put in place and you know boundaries isn't necessarily keeping people away it's also bringing people close you know some people have these boundaries where they have these walls and so no one can get beyond those walls um but those aren't necessarily healthy boundaries because we need people to be to be in on what's going on with us especially someone as close as our spouse so a lot of what we worked on was helping her find her voice and helping her uh drop some of those those that fortress that the walls that she had built up around her and and soften you know and and, and recreate boundaries mm, yeah. yeah that's really interesting because I have found that boundaries are not just outgoing but they're also they're not just outbound they're also inbound yeah so there's two extremes one is where one is where you're too attached and you're too open and then there's one where you're too distant and too closed off right so it's about finding that middle. The balance. the balance, yeah. Where you just like, where you exist and things feel good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what do you think about intuition? <laughs> Please uh, help us out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think everyone can tap into their intuitive abilities. I don't, I, I think it exists for everyone. People think that, you know, there's a sixth sense. Uh, it's not really, yes, there is. And it's accessible to everyone. I think for people, so for me, it just it, it's something that has come very naturally. Maybe it's because I'm a Pisces. I'm, I, I just like hear people rolling their eyes right now like <laughs> <laughs> at me. But some of you will get it. But um, I don't know. Like it's always been something sort of innate and easily accessible for me. However, I think that inner guidance, that voice, that intuition exists for everyone. And something I recommend for people who don't necessarily tap into it as easily or don't recognize that they're tapping into it um, is to get really still and really silent and, you know, start with an intention of like, 
what do I want to do about X? Or what should I do? What, role, what road should I take? Whatever it is. And then sit silently and quietly. And like people, it doesn't mean to quiet your mind and stop thinking thoughts, not at all, but see what comes up for you when you genuinely are just still. And so I, you know, I mentioned I went to Bali recently. I was in a crossroads where I was just like, so unsure of what my next step was going to be. I had this desire to go to Bali and then I had, you know, my fears creeping up and I was, I went to a yoga class and I just laid on my mat at the end of the class and I was like, I don't know what to do. I need a sign. Um, and it's an interesting story, but in, in essence, I got the sign that I was looking for where mm. someone literally was like, Hey, do you teach yoga? And I was like, no. And they're like, you should. <laughs> and, um, and it was funny because part of what I was planning on doing in Bali was teaching yoga. And then they were like, do you have a lot of travel plans coming up? And I was like, actually, maybe. And anyway, things like really fell into place. And I, it was sort of like the answer that I was looking for. But it all came because that inner voice of mine, when I was on the mat, just like, you know, just exasperated, was like, just walk to Union Square. And in that walk is when I came across like these, you know, answers. And it was just one of those. And so I think when you're open and you allow yourself uh, stillness and just um, openness, when you like open yourself up to possibilities, that's when intu intuition can creep in. Mm, yeah. Something I found for me about uh, with intuition has been just hearing a lot of different voices in my head. And realizing that it's because I'm actually disconnected from my own voice and all mm. the voices in my head are everyone else's voice, you know, yes. the opinions I care about that I really shouldn't be caring about. And so that's really cool that you use kind of a mixture of connecting to yourself and then a mixture of the signs from the outside world. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how I mean, we're we are social creatures, right? We we have all of these experiences. Um, it's sort of just about, again, following also your, your bliss. I, this is so <laughs> cheesy, but like your highest self, like really following what you know in your heart will make you really happy. And of course, we all have those voices that tell us all of the, you know, there, there are so many voices that we have, our parents, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. Um, and it's, they're important to consider, right? Because they are, they exist. Those opinions do exist. And so they're there to help us sort of, they're there to guide us, you know, there. And if we realize that our own opinion is in opposition to all of those, then, uh, and, and you feel good about it too. Like that's what you feel good about. Just trust yourself. Everyone's going to have an, an opinion. Like I told, when I, when we first started this podcast, I was like, yeah. You know, people are like, look at my life sometimes like Natalie's crazy. You know, she's just like, you know, going to Bali for two months and <laughs> moving to North Carolina in three days. And yeah, from the outside world, it might seem it might seem extreme. But for me, I just I know I've learned to really trust my intuition and my gut. Mm -hmm. You know, I've gotten so disconnected from myself at times that even the signs I was getting would make me question things even more because I'd be like, did I just make that into a sign that's not real a sign? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> it's whatever you think. You yeah. know, a sign is a sign if you say it's a sign. That's true too. And I think that that's, you know, people who are more grounded, I guess, who are just more like real, like realism is like their thing. Um, they might not, it might have, seeing signs may not necessarily speak to them, but I think we all see things and experience things and then think like, ah, 
that makes sense to me or like, oh, mm. that's that's um, that's the direction I want to go. Um, and I think things have meanings insofar as we give them meaning. And so if you decide that something's a sign, then girl, it's a sign, you know, and, and <laughs> Ooh, this text from it. my ex must mean that we, <laughs> we need to get back together. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> not in that situation. That's, yeah, that's when things get a little gray. <laughs> yeah, but but then again, you know what? Even with that, again, I think have, things have meaning as insofar as you give them meaning. So let's say you do get that text from your ex and you're like, oh, this is a sign from the universe that he's thinking about me, whatever, whatever. And then you get back into that situation. Um, guaranteed, you can find a, there will be a lesson to be learned. Right. You know, whether mm-hmm. it works out or it doesn't, you'll learn something. And you take that and you run with it and you just, you know, go on about your life. I I think decisions, the decisions you make aren't wrong or right. They just are. And you did the best with what you could, What you did the best with what you had at the time and you made the best decision for yourself in that moment. And so it's not wrong because you made the decision and there's something that even if it doesn't work out, you can learn from. Mm-hmm. So if you look at everything like a lesson, things start to seem a lot less stressful. Yeah. You get to live life a little, um, with a little less worry and a little more free and a little just like going with the flow. Yeah. And when you have that much compassion for yourself, I feel like, like you mentioned before, you, you start to extend that to other people and that level of understanding that, you know what, everyone is doing the best they can. They're making decisions with what, with the information that they have at that, in that moment, at that time, you know, and they're doing the best they can. And as long as you're doing the best you can, that's all you can hope for. Yeah, that's so freeing. So I want to talk about self-love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, I feel like self-love and self-care is, like, becoming so commercialized these days. Yeah. It's but it's business. hard to really know, like, what truly is self-love? And you did write a, a blog post, uh, and you talked about the truth about loving yourself, about how it's a journey and how mm-hmm. there really is no destination, but there's, nope. like, different points in the journey where, you know, you have ups and downs, and it's just a constant um, ride. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean... Going back to what we were talking about earlier, I think both men and women have struggle with with loving themselves. Uh, I can only speak from a woman's, woman's perspective, and I know that I'm not alone in all of the things that I've I've felt about myself. And um, it's it is a journey, and there are moments where I have my insecurities, my old insecurities that keep that creep up out of nowhere, and I'm like, wait a minute, I thought I shook this a long time ago, but. Um, it's just the reality, you know, we constantly get messages from the outside of world or how about how we're supposed to look or how we're supposed to dress or how we're spo- how much we're supposed to weigh or how successful we're supposed to be, you know, um, especially for our modern day women who are just who are trying to make their own um, while also trying to find love. Like there's a lot of pressure of this, like, oh, we can have it all mentality. So like, not only do I have to be wildly successful, but I also have to be super sexy. My legs always have to be shaved. And Mm. (laughs) I, you know, I also have to be having babies by the age of 35 and my makeup always has to be done, whatever. There are all of these expectations that we, we internalize and, um, it can be hard to sort of keep your head above water. But if you, again, it, it comes down to compassion. If you have that compassion for yourself and even in the moment where you're like, ugh, I look so fat, and then you catch yourself in that moment, just recognizing that it's a thought, it's there, 
you're feeling that way. That's cool. Um, and then and then realize that that's not true, right? And then realize that, and, and whether it's true or not, I don't want to feel that way about myself. I actually really want to like myself. You have to be with yourself, you know? You have mm. to for forever. So you want to make sure that you're telling yourself the things that you would tell to your best friend. You're, tell, you're speaking to yourself the way that you want other people to speak to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not saying that I never have those moments. It's just that I am able to, to snap out of them much quicker because I realize that like, I actually really like myself. Mm-hmm. I love that, that you're okay with just with having those moments and expecting those moments to come, but still knowing that you can get out of them and you can move past them. Exactly. And, you know, sometimes we, ha- we experience more suffering and more pain from resisting the things that we're feeling. Mm-hmm. When in reality, if you just accept them, you recognize them, you actually take away the power, you know, knowing that you, it's just sort of like, oh, I had that, feel- uh, that feeling or just, I just had that thought or that fear keeps creeping yeah. up and it's creeping up. It's like, okay. Or I was just triggered in a similar way that I yeah. thought I, I've done enough work on to right. never be triggered ag- right. again. And then you have this sense of failure, like, dang it, I'm back kind of where I started. Right. But it's not true. Because yeah. the fact that you can recognize that trigger already means that you're much further along than you were when, beforehand when you didn't even realize that that was coming up for you. So, it, it, again, it's about reframing and putting things into perspective of, okay, it's okay that I feel this way. Oh, it's okay that this fear is coming up. Uh, it's just there to try and protect me. You know, it's just there to even, you know, when we have those like negative thoughts of like, oh, I'm getting fat. It's like that thought's coming up because for whatever reason, you're probably not treating your body the way that you really want to be treating mm. your body. And it just, it's there to just remind, it's just there to, it, 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 it's your ego trying to protect you basically. So being like, thanks ego for trying to protect me, but right now you're not helping and, and also you're not right. <laughs> wow. That's fascinating. Cause I've tried doing, um, I have had issues with body image my whole entire life. So whenever I do get those thoughts of like, oh my God, I'm getting fat or I've, e- I've eaten so much lately and I haven't gone to the gym. And so I spiral into this like, oh my God. Yeah. Everything's falling apart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, um, I realized that all I really need in, in that moment is to just give some love to my body, to just, like we talked about before, affirmations, to remind myself that I love my body, and oh my god, it's actually working, and I'm breathing, and yeah. nothing hurts, and like, okay, can we just gain some perspective real quick? <laughs> and then also, if you do realize those in those moments, like, ugh, I'm eating so much, it's like, okay, well, why? Like, what else is going on? And also, what can I what can I do right now that'll be kind to my, to my body, be kind to myself? It doesn't, and just to answer your question about self-care, that's when self-care comes in. Um, self-care isn't, you know, having a towel on your head while you're taking a bubble <laughs> bath, drinking a glass of champagne while there's candles and you have a face mask that's like made out of gold and rose petals. Although I like all those things. Um, <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be this whole production. Um, and so it can be as simple as, Going for a walk when you realize that your your body you're not really feeling good in your body, or just sweating it out, or going to a yoga class, or um, I don't know anything. Drinking a few glasses of water, you know, drinking water is self care mm-hmm. because we need it. Um, yeah. I have a reminder on my phone to 
to tell me to drink water like every 30 minutes and it's been such a lifesaver because now awesome it's like programming my brain like I actually remember now to drink water and then my app tells me I'm like haha I got you (laughs) I already did it I'm winning uh yeah no seriously that is self-care so it can be anything again that makes you feel good and also I feel like the most basic and most necessary form of self-care for me has been feeling my feelings expressing them yeah okay having a good cry <laughs> yes no feeling your feel oh my god I'm so happy you said that again that's something that I didn't allow myself to do for so long I've honestly gone through a lot of my grieving in my late 20s around mm. surrounding like my mom and all that situation and it was because for so long I just didn't really want to deal with those feelings I didn't really know what they were I didn't I hadn't expressed them that's when you know therapy for example was really effective and and naming them and understanding them and um, also recognizing that some of my behaviors were a result of those that lack of mourning that was now coming out later in life Um, and so that's been a really big thing for me actually in the past I'd say like five years or so is that is is allowing myself to feel my feelings and yeah, that is self-care. And accepting the nature of emotions. Like when we're talking about something like grief, I feel like it just sometimes it may never stop. Sometimes it may be with us our whole entire lives because it's caused and triggered by a lot of different things. Mm. And so just accepting the nature of feelings and that it's just part of our humanness is so powerful. Something that drives me crazy is this like positive vibes only. I hate that so much. Get rid of your negative vibes. Get rid of your (laughs) negative emotions. It's like, no, no, shut up. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's no such thing really. There are, there are emotions and that is it. Like feeling sad or feeling angry or feeling, um, depressed. Those aren't negative. They are on the spectrum of emotions. And there's actually research that shows that people who experience a wider range of emotions are actually much healthier. So it's really important for us to feel like all of the emotions on the spectrum and not just stick to this positive vibes, positive life. Yes, to an extent. The, again, the way that you talk to yourself is going to influence your reality. The way that, you know, if you if you go out into the world thinking good things are going to happen today, chances are confirmation bias. You're going to find the good things that are that are happening versus if you go out into the world and are like, everyone's a jerk and nothing's going to go my way, you're, you'll probably find reasons why things aren't going to go your way and why people are jerks. Um, that being said... If something really, really crappy happens to you, no one's telling you positive vibes, like don't lower your vibrations because otherwise (laughs) bad things will happen. Like, no, bad things will happen if you're not honoring your your full human experience. Mm -hmm. So you can be positive and also have like a depressive period. You can be positive and also be angry. You can, you know, you can be positive and, and be really, really sad and the, mm-hmm. that's not bad and that's not negative. It's necessary. Right. I mean, like Sorry, we said. Sorry, I got really passionate about that. <laughs> no, I love that because I hate the positive vibes only hashtag and, and trend because it's so um, not inclusive, you know? No, and it's because destructive. It is. And it's just, it makes you feel guilty for, like you said, feeling human emotions, which are a natural part of our lives. And we shouldn't be afraid to do that just to live up to this ideal of how we should be living our life or how we should be ultra spiritual about, about it. 
Yeah, there's, I mean, positive vibes is not, like, is not synonymous with, like, spirituality. And I think that in today's day and age, in the way that, uh, in the way that a lot of the marketing is happening around spirituality, um, and also, I'm going to say it, but, um, you know, white, cisgendered sort of spirituality, female, like, spirituality, um, it's not really inclusive of the full range of like human experience. And so it's not rooted. It, it's, it, it has the best of intentions. Right. You know, I, I think it does have the best intentions, but um, I also don't think that it's, it's irresponsible in a way because it's not telling the full story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally get that. Uh, I think the intention is there positively <laughs> yeah no, they're, they're, it, it, it's it means well but it's also not like you said it's not inclusive and it's yeah. not recognizing a lot of experiences mm-hmm. outside of their yeah. their personal experience yeah i think the true message from me in that trend is don't overindulge in negativity you know that's how yeah. i take it as now so i don't get so triggered when i see it <laughs> yes because i get really passionate about it about it also um so you wrote a blog post that I really loved, which was all about how to use jealousy as fuel. Mm. And I think it's a really great transition right now since we live in a world where we're on Instagram all the time. And it's so easy yeah. to compare ourselves <laughs> to other people and what they're doing and all the things that they're up to and how amazing they look nonchalantly, casually all yeah, the time. Yeah, just casually sipping my cappuccino on the you know on a balcony in Paris overlooking the Eiffel Tower and I just woke up like this and there just happens to be a professional photographer around me at this moment yeah exactly (laughs) totally great resolution I mean I love Uh, those pictures I follow all those accounts but I hear you I know no they are truly very inspiring and I love great visuals you know Mm -hmm. but I have found myself I, I think as everyone has uh, at times just scrolling and being like, my life sucks. And now it sucks even more. And it really, really does suck. And I don't, I, I need to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can't. Yeah. Um, no, you're, so yes, I, I believe in using jealousy as fuel. I think we, we, we say jealousy is a bad thing. We grow up thinking it's, it's bad, but then we're also, we also grow up sort of being encouraged to be jealous of, of things and people around us, you know, this, uh, this idea of like keeping up with the Joneses and, um, competing with the girls in, that, in your classroom for like boys attention and, you know, always just always in that, that state of comparison. Um, the way I like to, to think about jealousy is that it really is sort of a thermometer for, for where you are in your life. And also, gives you insight into what life can be like. So if you see someone like crushing it in their business, for example, and they're, they're getting all these clients and, you know, their, their hair is on, is completely perfect. And like, everything is just like coming up roses. First of all, recognize that a lot of that is marketing and it's good marketing, right? Cause it mm-hmm. makes you think, Ooh, I want that. Um, secondly, it also shows you what's possible. So if someone is doing the thing that you really want to do, I think something I hear often is, um, you know, well, there's so many people doing it already. Why should I do it? And it's like this fear of, of putting yourself out there because it already exists. But if someone else is doing it, then hell yeah, do it because it means that there's a market for it. It means that someone actually is going to pay you to do that thing. Um, so 
it just shows you what's possible. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that you cannot be unique in doing something that a lot of people are doing. A hundred percent. And it also doesn't mean that there aren't people out there who are really going to resonate with you, your personality, your specific message as well. Exactly. Exactly. There's like 7 billion people in the world. I have, <laughs> yeah, exactly. My clients say that to me. They're like, well, what? A, I mean, it's already been done. I said, you know, there are thousands of, of coaches out there, but you're working with me. Like you paid your hard earned money to be, to be my client, you know? And so sure, there are thousands of coaches and I'm doing the thing that I'm doing because that's because I like it, <laughs> you know? And I think that it's possible for me. So yeah, that's so empowering. So since we're on the Boss Ass Bitch podcast, yes. I want to ask you <laughs> the ultimate question, which is the reason why I started this podcast. I really want to explore what people think about the word bitch. So I'm curious what you define, the wor- how you define the world. The, 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 <laughs> I'm this curious. Life, people. Right? <laughs> we're probably going to edit that out. It's okay. <laughs> this is why I love podcasting. Um, but I'm curious how you define the word bitch. And what your experience has been with it in the past and what you see for the future of the word. Mm. So the word is is interesting. Like any word that has been sort of reappropriated to mean something empowering when it was really created to be derogatory. So that's what bitch is, right? It's, this, it's a word that was used to degrade and put down um, women. And over the years, it's become a, you know, it's become a word of power and empowerment, you know, hashtag boss ass bitch podcast, (laughs) right? So it's a very complicated, like with any word of that nature, it's complicated. Um, Personally, my experience with it is that I've been targeted with that word before, not necessarily even from guys, but a lot of times from other women. Um, and often it was, I like to think sort of misguided, um, but that's, that, that has in my experience where it's been a word wielded at me by, by other women and occasionally by men, of course, too. Um, the way that I take it is, I guess I also have reclaimed that word for myself. Like, hell yeah, I'm a bitch. I'm a bad bitch now. <laughs> oh my god! Um, and it's yes. getting late, guys. I'm tired. But <laughs> yeah, <like> so, <laughs> yeah, no. But you know, I've I've used that word to 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 empower myself, to empower other other women, um, because it it's come to mean something different in today's day and age. It's more of this idea of someone who like has her own, who does her own thing, who, you know, doesn't care about what's coming at her, what society tells her. She's just strong. And, um, but again, it's a word that was reclaimed to mean all of those things when initially it meant something completely different. Mm-hmm. This is why I love language. And this is why I think that language is the basis of how we see ourselves in the world. And I think that when we take control of certain words and certain meanings of things, uh, I think that's very empowering. So thank you for your perspective on that. Yeah. I, again, it comes down to boundaries. Like if it's something that you do not like and doesn't work for you, don't let anyone use it. Don't use it yourself. If it's something that f- makes you feel empowered, then like go for it. You're a bitch. <laughs> I love it. So tell everyone where they can find you, how they can get in contact with you or work with you. Thanks so much. Yeah. So, um, you can definitely find me on Instagram. It's the platform that I engage with people the most on. So it's, uh, at Natalie, 
uh, N-A-T-A-L-I-E <laughs> underscore knows, K-N-O-W-S. You can find me at my website at uh, yourbestlifecoach.club. So that's dot C-L-U-B. And um, that's pretty much, I think, where you'll find the most information about me. So. And you run a Babes Who Brunch Club. Yes. Uh, so super excited for this <laughs> for this upcoming event. Uh, Babes Who Brunch Club is a event and online platform to bring women together in pursuit of healthy lifestyles and big dreams. So you can find that account at Babes Who Brunch underscore club. So awesome. Thank you so much, Natalie. Thank you I really so enjoyed much. This. this has been so amazing. Yes. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, people, that's a wrap. You've been listening to the Boss Ass Biz Podcast. I'm your host, Marta Katanichu. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at MartyPants. That's M-A-R-T-Y-P-A-N-T-T-S. That's two T's in the pants, Marty Pants. Or you can find me on my writing account, which is Write Shit Down. Pretty plain and simple. Bye for now.